0: The quiver is full of hope. I've got
1: the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod says
2: long. Welcome to the Trag Quest Podcast, brought to you by Kefaro International. James Orr here. And joining me as always, Bob, the boy hunter, Borland. What's going on, Bob? Living the dream, buddy.
1: Moving day. So just been yeah. moving boxes and unpacking boxes.
2: Yeah, you ever going to move again?
1: We <laughs> and my wife were just talking about that last night. I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so.
2: You're, that's, the, that's the crib till you die, huh?
1: Yeah, we'll see about that. But moving sucks. I'm sure, you know, you've done it. We've all done it. Uh, it's a good time to clean out your stuff and toss it. And that's kind of what we're doing with a lot of it. So yeah, it's okay. good to be I in bet. the new place, but still got a lot to unpack.
2: Anyone that listens to the podcast knows I like getting rid of stuff. That's right. You know, I think that comes because, uh, growing up my, as my parents were sea urchin divers and we moved, uh, up and down the coastline ch- chasing, uh, sea urchins, we moved a lot. I moved, I think 13 times before I turned 13.
1: Damn. Yeah. So you couldn't, you
2: didn't want any of that extra stuff. No, no. And, and then I did. And then from 13 to 18, I stayed in one spot, but then I've moved, I don't know, a handful of times in the last 20 years, but yeah, moving sucks.
1: Yeah, for sure. But it is great to be in the house. Finally, a lot of work and it, it, uh, it's nice to be able to sit down on your own couch and relax for a minute.
2: Yeah. Well, you got a big old, awesome looking man room. I seen the picture on Instagram. I'm I'm probably gonna come live on that couch in your <laughs> man room.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be sweet, man. I'm looking forward to putting that all together for sure.
2: Yeah, that's that's way cool. Was that like a, a an office or a dining room or what was that?
1: Ah, uh, you know, I think it was like a kind of like a living room. You know. It's got a yeah. kind of double swing door into the kind of main living area. So, you know, however they do it, um, family room, probably it was called. So yeah,
2: that's it's now awesome, my,
1: man. now my hunting room, that's what my wife always, that's what she calls it. So she called right. my room. I had in the, my our old house. I just had a room, same thing. It was a lot smaller though. That just had all my hunting stuff in it. I, you know, closet full of the clothes and the, like I said, I'm, I'm very very unorganized but when it comes to all my hunting stuff I keep it all together pretty pretty good. So
2: yeah, I had a I had a hunting room for about 10 years at my old house. It was a little tiny bedroom that was kind of like off the back of the kitchen that no one used, so it was just my hunting room. But when we moved with the girls uh, there was no extra room, so I've got this big walk-in closet and 50% of it is just my stuff piled up in totes and crap, and it's not uh, it's not that cool.
1: Yeah, it's nice having your own room because, you know, like I have a few, like, little dressers, and then I have the closet full of stuff, and it's like, you know, you, you kind of know where everything's at. If you need to go grab something, you're just going on a trip to go, you know, if you're going shed hunting or turkey hunting or, you know, whatever, you can just hiking with a kid. You know where all your stuff is. You run, run up there, grab it. You're gone.
2: Yeah, that's cool. I know when I first got into hunting, um, you know, well, whatever that was in my twenties, my uh, brother-in-law he had a hunting room, and I was like, "What do you need a room for hunting?" And he was like, "Trust me, man. Once you uh, start accumulating stuff, you're going to need a room too." <laughs> so yeah. yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, this spring weather to, to end. We do have a bow shoot. We put on three shoots down here on the coast, the southwestern Oregon bow hunters. So we got our first shoot, and we've got like I don't know, forty or fifty brand new Reinhardt targets. And we actually kick some elk off this piece of private when we're setting up. It's this beautiful old growth forest right on the river where we set it up, and it's kind of a we got to cut the trails for each time because it's right in the middle of the jungle. So it's always a super cool shoot because it's very realistic to this. I mean, it's actually butts up to the state forest that I hunt elk in. So
1: Nice. Right on, yeah, man. Yeah, it's good good to get some weather and get out, start shooting our bows. Hunt season is yeah. just that much closer for sure.
2: Yeah, and so Traditional Archers of Oregon's got a conservation project in conjunction with Oregon Department of Wildlife and Fishing on the white river wildlife management area yep and then after that project there's a traditional bow golf shoot and it sounds like you're going to be attending that yep i'm going to go up
1: there andy's going to come up set up his 10 i think friday night so i don't get off work till saturday morning so i'll probably uh try to have somebody come in early for me and and head over there and meet up with them probably while they're doing the Little conservation project and and yeah, go camp with them for the night. Shoot our bows a little bit. Taking the daughter, the okay, he's taking his kids, and it's gonna be a blast. Daughter's pumped.
2: Nice, you're camping with Ponce.
1: Yeah, hanging out. He's bringing the Walton over, and I um, think he's bringing Owen and Hannah. We'll see. Hannah hadn't decided, but it'll be fun, man. Taking the kids and no no wives, so just yeah. The dads and kids weekend.
2: Nice. Owen's probably already got his stuff packed and he's like in the back (laughs) of his dad's truck waiting for it to happen two weeks early.
1: Sure. He's ready to rock.
2: Chomping at the bit. That's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to these kids getting grown up and getting them into the woods bow hunting with them. It's going to be fun.
1: Heck yeah, man. I love taking
2: the kids. Yeah. So speaking of wild, we've got a wild one for you guys tonight. Who do we got, Bob? Gary Renfro, wild man from the high country of Colorado. Yeah, this guy has got a man. He's got some fire in him, and he's such a cool guy. And we uh, bring him on to talk about his uh, archery products, uh, traditional archery products that he makes. And we dive deep into mountain lion hunting, and we get into mountain lion hunting without dogs, uh, uh, tracking him in the high country. And he's got some amazing stories um we're definitely this will just be part one with gary we're definitely going to be bringing him back on for you guys um so yeah i hope you guys enjoy it and for a little sneaker uh for the guys that are wondering yes connie renfro will be on uh following gary next week we've got her uh, awesome interview with her also so look forward to it guys is this easton Carboneros? (laughs)
3: <laughs> <It> sure is. <laughs> 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 you bet it is. Uh, I have, uh, I make carbon arrows, by the way. You do? Yeah. When I go to these shows, i I have, I have them out there with a sign that says "carbon arrows," and it's just some cedar shaves I took a torch to and burned them till they're just black as can be, and nobody's buying them yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i run it i razz everybody about carbon arrows and i suppose uh, i'm gonna get in trouble for it someday but until then i'm gonna keep up i was put on a planet to save the wooden arrow that's the way i feel about it
1: i love it i love it yeah i saw on your website some of your shirts they are classic i love it <laughs>
0: Yeah, does does do. my
1: woody make my butt look big? <laughs> 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 I'm ordering yeah. some of those for sure. I, oh, man, I love it. Well, uh, it's
3: not like I'm getting rich off of them. Yeah. I, uh, uh, in fact, uh, I'm running around, man. I've been up on the mountain and got the times messed up for this call. And I apologize for that.
2: No, no not a problem. Not a problem. Are you We've guys
3: got... uh, recording this right now?
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: Oh, geez, I'm here panting because I've been running. <laughs> um, well, the thing is, I got the times mixed up between a surveyor and you guys, and I wrote it down, and I thought, oh, man, yeah. And then the surveyor's yelling at me like, why aren't you here? I said, I thought it was at 2 o'clock. No. it's said, 10. I said, oh, geez. <laughs> So I ran up there, and then you called, and I went, oh, no. But we're good to go.
2: No problem, um, so... Yeah, welcome uh, to the Quest podcast, Gary Renfro.
3: Well, thank you very much, and I'll tell you, uh, let's just turn it around and thank you guys for all the effort you guys put into this stuff. Uh, we're a dying breed, and um, even though every movie you watch nowadays shows something about somebody using a longbow or a recurve or something, but the reality is all these uh, newer kids are more into the high-tech stuff than, than ever before. and I'm guilty of it. I mean, I I jumped on that wagon in the 70s and thought that was the answer. Quickly realized that when you let go of the string on a four-wheel compound, it takes like three seconds for all the slack to jam out of it. <laughs> You're missing something, man.
2: For sure. sure. Heck Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, we've got... Uh, bob here on the line and we're uh, excited to talk some bow hunting and uh, traditional archery with you today Uh, why don't you uh, tell us you know a little bit about yourself where you're from how you got started uh, in this wonderful life we call traditional bow hunting
3: well i got started in it when i was like five years old and i'm getting close to 64 right now and I got a little one of them little red fiberglass bows for my birthday, and, and uh, two or three arrows. You know how it goes. And I, I shot it at everything, and, and uh, I, I was trying to shoot these red uh, red winged blackbirds that were in my granny's yard when I was a kid, and uh, I ended up breaking all the tips off my arrows, and I was devastated. So I uh, looked around and I found a big pen uh, cover, and it ended up sliding right over the front of those arrows, just like a little bullet on the end. And I was back in business. Went out and shot me a red-winged blackbird and came walking in the house all proud, and boy, did I get my rear end in trouble, but I was hooked on boys <laughs> the day on. Um, but anyway, I, I bought my first main recurve, I suppose, uh, oh, I don't know, in the early 70s, and ordered it from Montgomery Ward's, an old Browning uh, Recurve for 49.95, and hunted with that. Took a deer the very first year. I grew up in Colorado. Between Connie and I, my wife, um, we're like nine generations in this state. Um, so our families have been here a long time. The dynamics here has changed so much in the last, especially 20 years. It's unbelievable. With the advent of marijuana being legal and everybody from every corner of the planet coming in here it has just changed everything. We've got 18 new rafting companies, zip lines, and people just beating this place to death nowadays. So uh, that's what we were doing this morning on a survey. I was up on the side of the mountain, uh, trying to get some things laid out to build us a new house and get away from the people. Oh, We've you're, had some you're not putting
1: in a zip line. <laughs> I thought that's what you were going to say
3: <laughs> No, I'm putting in a uh, We're surveying a 50 cal turret To set up on the side of the are <laughs> Take care of all the damn turrets <laughs>
1: uh, uh, Alright, good, economy, that's what I thought
3: The economy would sag for sure If we uh, didn't have all the turrets But you know, when you People that are moving here think it's fantastic This is unbelievable but the folks that have lived here all their life ain't seen it that way folks and it's just crowded and traffic jams and on and on and on enough negativity i understand you guys want to hear about a lion hunt oh yeah
2: yeah yeah we definitely do um what what part of colorado are you in are you up in the rockies like where are you where are you located
3: we live in a little mining town west of denver that is um, around 8,000, 7,600 feet in elevation. And um, it's just been a peaceful little mining town. I'm a, I'm a miner's brat. Uh, my dad passed on from working uranium mines and stuff. You know, those, a lot of those people died that worked for that nuclear nuclear area in the 50s. And I and, uh, ended up staying here, going to school here. and and all that stuff and
2: and i know we we met you and your wife uh last year at the traditional archers of oregon banquet you guys were uh speakers there and you know really enjoyed meeting you guys and you do a lot of stuff as we alluded to in the beginning of the conversation with wood arrows you have uh, traditional archery products is that correct yeah
3: that's correct i just you know, I started that business on the side. From the day that I realized that I, I gotta get rid of this damn compound, I unscrewed the limbs on that thing, went in and hung it up. And I bought the uh, Pitsley Predator, one of his originals, and uh, started hunting with that. And I just heard through a buddy of mine that that Ron just passed away here while back. I didn't know that until just recently. Um, but anyway, I started hunting with one of Ron's bows. And the first year I took a 6x6 six six bull and I, I took a bighorn ram and went down to Texas for some reason and hunted a and, and some uh, hog. And It was not, it was like I, nothing changed, you know. For the most part, I shot my compound re- instinctively anyway. But I uh, hunted with that recurve, and since then I've we've been hunting a local bowyer here. He makes some super bows, uh, Black Canyon bows. Mike Hayes. Um,
2: uh, yeah, that's what Marv Marv Clinky shoots, also.
3: Well, Marv Clinky is shooting uh, Black Canyon <laughs> bows because I do. <laughs> 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 Don't tell Marv. <laughs> I'm kidding, man. Um, but Mike makes a Super Bowl and he has, you know, you, if you want to get one of his bows, you're going to be on the list for a year or so, at least, in order to, to get one. But, And Mike's a, such a super guy. He, uh, he says that he attributes a lot of his business to uh, the fact that Connie and I have been hunting with his bows. But the truth of the matter is, if, if his bows were junk, he wouldn't have any business. And so he's he spends a lot of time and energy into it. He's got a real job and does it on the side. And he's a mechanical engineer, and he's very meticulous about everything. And um, makes a great bow.
2: It's awesome. But I'm so, getting old
3: now, and I can't shoot my 65s, my 63s, my 58. So I'm good. I'm going down into the 45 pound range. A lot of you guys out there might think that that's like shooting a kids bow.
2: No, so I think not, that's. I think that's the trend. I think that's the trend. Yeah, we, me, me and Bob both shoot fifty pounds.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. That's those heavier bows are going to mess up your form more than anything, and I'm living proof of that. I mean, I'm left eye dominant, shoot right handed. Um, I snap shoot. And I am just intrigued by these guys that don't realize you're supposed to let that damn arrow go about halfway back. I, what's wrong with they Hold it, and hold it, and hold it. <laughs> but uh, but it all the wood arrow thing, on my part of it, started when I started putting things in reverse from the technology and making, making bow hunting even more challenging, and that was getting into building self-bows. So I started building those self bows, and I'm a woodworker by trade. I'm a cabinet maker, and I got all the toys that a, a woodworker needs. But I couldn't get those arrows to fly out of them dang things for nothing. So I kept messing around with wood arrows, different spine weights, and all this and all that. And then I uh, I realized that I ain't tough enough to bust an osage stave in half. And I just started center shooting, center cutting those. Uh, um, self-bows, and in the process of all that, trying to figure out weight forward and on and on and on with, with uh, arrows, and I got into building my own footed arrows and made a bunch of uh, wooden jigs to do that in the shop, and then other epiphanies hit, and I worked with a machinist, and we developed some, some precision tooling to make some really, really nice uh, footed arrows. In fact, I've sold them all over the, the world. I mean, one of the most beautiful arrows that you can find now are built by uh, uh, a guy in france uh, viking arrows take time to look up viking arrows sometime in france and uh look at some of the work he's done oh he's unbelievable with with the tooling and then there's other guys that got a lot of money because the stuff that i'm selling is very expensive but it's not like i'm getting rich on if i sell two of those tools a year i'm doing good
2: So you're selling a tool that um, helps uh, produce a footed arrow shaft, and can you explain to our listeners if they don't know what a footed uh, shaft is?
3: Yeah, you're going to have to help me out in that area because uh, I just take it for granted everybody knows all this stuff, and you're right, it's not true. A footed arrow is applying a heavier hardwood to the front of the shaft and you know the, the the natives have been doing it with sinew and uh, bone and what have you over centuries. But the modern day footed arrow is a complicated splicing from the hardwood to the softwood shaft. And what it does is it, it makes the front of the arrow tougher. And the most important thing is it makes it weight forward and. The tool that I'm talking about is called the Scorpion Footing Jig. It's on the website. You guys can go look into it. There's a little demo and YouTube clip on it. But anyway, it uh, it puts that weight forward, and, man, those arrows fly like carbons. <laughs> 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 I've had carbon guys shooting them, and they just sit there all slack jawed looking at me, and I say, I told you, they work really good. And if you want to know what it kind of looks like, uh, an analogy I use is a a pull stick. You'll see a lot of pull sticks with the the long splices from the hardwood and the the, the softer wood in the back. Just take a look at a pull stick next time you get around one and you'll see what it looks like.
2: What are the uh, common woods that you're using for hardwoods, and then what are the softwoods that you prefer? I mean, are you, like, do you use cedar or fir or poplar or, you know what? Can you speak to that a little bit?
3: Yeah, you know, it goes back full circle to the self-bows and me going through all the problems with arrow building and trying to to get arrows to fly, and when you start buying a dozen arrows here or a dozen shafts there and spend all the labor putting them together, um, you get an investment in there and you find out that they don't work so hot because you miss the spine weight. And spine weight's critical and doesn't matter if it's aluminum, carbon, or wood, you know, so that's always going to be a problem. But um, somewhere along that era, the federal government Impose the tax on all the shafting, and you just got to pay even more for it. than everybody is even today. Well, that kind of chapped my hide a little bit. Being a woodworker, all these are, are little dull, so I just started making my own shafting, and then I've been, for the most part, been making them out of. Uh, and I've made them out of a lot of different things, uh, different woods. But for the most part, I use poplar, and poplar. Is what most dowels are made out of in the hardware store. It's just readily available. But as one, um, one of my customers that called me up and was talking to me about the poplar, he says it's not really poplar. He says what it is is a tulip wood. And I said, really? So I looked it up in my wood book, and sure enough, it's a tulip wood. But everybody calls it poplar, and that's what we use. And the reason why we use it is it's, Fairly inexpensive. You can cut out lots of square blanks and run them through a dollar and and turn out shafting. But the highlight behind it is, um, it's tough. Boy, it's tough, tough wood. And I've made them out of cedar and I've made them out of fir and uh, everything in between and cherry and on and on. But poppers seems to be the the easiest uh, to make them out of. It sands good and mills good on the machines and everything else. And I rat tail taper my arrows from twenty three sixty fourths from behind the point all the way to a quarter inch at the knock. So they're similar to your grizzly sticks. Uh,
2: oh, that
3: they've been selling for years, you know. So a
2: full a full a full taper from from uh, yeah. one into the next.
3: Yeah, and they just they hit like a freight train. When they, you'll notice right away when you shoot them into a target. and You walk over, and start to pull it out. Man, they're they're in there. They really penetrate. In fact, I took a, a probably the largest bodied white tail I have ever taken. Oh, I don't know, three four years ago with a self bow, one of those footed arrows, 18 yard shot, hitting perfect right behind the front shoulder with a stone point, and it. Punched out the other side of him. Didn't completely pass through, but it punched out the other side of him. And who knows how far I pulled that bow back, maybe four inches. I don't know.
2: Was that out of a tree stand or on the ground? or
3: No, no, it was out of a tree stand. I yeah. like hunting a tree stand because, for the most part, we don't hunt out of tree stands. I mean, right. it's it's different for us because yeah. we're all one-on-one on the ground, you know, yeah. I mean, it's the other way around for my boy that lives in Kansas where we hunt. He, uh, he prefers to hunt on the ground and does it. In fact, he shot a deer this year, a little buck at 10 feet from the ground with his self a stone point. And he says, I just love that face to face adrenaline rush when that takes place. And I understand he's got, he knows what it's all about. And, on the same hunt this last fall, Connie decided, oh, I think I'm going to try hunting off the ground. And I said, well, good luck. <laughs> and she took off out in the boonies. And wouldn't you know it. An hour later, she texts me and says, I just shot a buck, my very first one from the ground with a stone point. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. So she's, uh, she was pretty fired up, and so was I but yeah yeah, we we put it in reverse from technology and and that's what it's all about if you've got the wood lore woodmanship to figure out what animals are doing you don't need no ozonator or or no uh, food plot or (laughs) no bait station you don't need none of that stuff yeah
2: that's awesome that's great and what are some of the other things uh why we're on the archery products uh before we move on that you're offering um i think you've got a a taper tool for points and
3: yeah, uh, we've built us a taper tool that you can chuck up in a in a drill motor or a impact tool and or use it by hand if you want to, but the whole idea of the tool is I'm lazy, man. I try to figure out how to build stuff that makes things faster, <laughs> and boy, it is faster. Um, we uh, put together a, a point brush because... Uh, Points falling loose from your arrows when you hit something that really shouldn't have knocked it loose, and it helps keep them uh, glued up to your to your shafting. It's just a little brush you put in a drill motor and run down in the in the points or broadheads, and cleans them all out and then right down to the bare metal and etches it, and the glue holds it holds it uh, holds better to the shafting.
2: Yeah, I use and, one of those, and they work great.
3: Oh, have you? I'll be yeah, but we built. Uh, I don't know, you know, I'm always behind the eight ball. It seems like I would have given anything for this tool uh, 30 years ago, and it was for sharpening two-blade broadheads or double-bevel broadheads. And uh, it's a tool that rotates on a bench. It weighs about eight pounds. It's not a backpacker's model, but it's got diamond stones and files on it, similar to the true angles, but a much, much higher-tech one. And, uh, boy, it works great. And then buff them all down with paper wheels. We sell the paper wheels, too. If you guys haven't used a paper wheel, you're missing out because it'll hone things so fast, so sharp. And uh, it's just what we're into. We try and offer things that that you just can't really buy and good quality things that you just can't buy at most places, you know. And we build a few how-to videos on sharpening broadheads and how to build footed arrows and and we sell some really cool t-shirts on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I noticed that. <laughs> yeah.
2: What, what, is that? what does that other shirt say? Uh, you're telling me, Bob.
1: Well, um, he's Let's got that. Does the, yeah, the Woody Make My Butt Look Big. I think the other one was keep traditional archery, traditional shoot wood arrows. And then wasn't isn't there a lower, yeah, lower year carbon year. footprint or something?
3: Yeah, yeah. Lower your carbon footprint, shoot wood arrows.
2: Yeah, that's a great one.
3: That's a pretty big smash that's hit. Awesome. I think it was uh, Dick Robertson, we at, had uh, at a show here a couple of years ago, it was a Compton gathering, and he's he's got his booth set up right across from mine. He just kept staring at them t-shirts, and uh, after a few minutes, he gets up and comes over. He said, i got to have one of those things. I think he gave it to his daughter. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't the one about it, butt look big or something i don't think <laughs> but uh yeah we just i don't know it's was, it's was just a side business i just officially signed up for social security i'm done fighting the fighting the thing and i'm gonna just be building stuff for myself and my family and awesome and,
2: uh, yeah and for guys that don't know uh you happen to have a bride there, Connie, who's uh, quite the accomplished bow hunter, also. And we have uh, plans to get her on. To uh, she'll be, I guess, our first female guest on the podcast, and we're looking forward to that.
3: Yeah, she'll bore you compared to me. She's too modest. I'm a big <laughs> bragger. <laughs> no, I try not to, but uh, she's also the first woman to take the original Big Eight species here in Colorado, which was an unbelievable feat. In fact, I didn't think, I've been saying for a long time that I don't think another woman will ever do it, and not because they're not capable, it's just that the era of drawing licenses has gone away, and the chances of somebody living long enough to draw all of these coveted tags, like a goat tag and a sheep tag and all that stuff, uh, it's just really tough nowadays so when she shot her ram which was the last one of the big eight um i said oh my god i cannot believe it you're the first one in history to do that and you know she just blew it off she just she didn't care
2: yeah we're, did. <laughs> we're, we're we're looking forward to, to getting her on and tell some stories but we'd like to get into with the spring nearly here and the s- snow still on the ground um, we know you've got a pretty uh, interesting tactic that you guys have uh, been using to hunt mountain lions out there in the Rockies, and we'd like to get the the whole scoop on that.
3: Well, you know what you're uh, insinuating is, a, is a, a hunt that I went on. I don't know. It's been about ten, twelve years. Two thousand three, I guess. Um i would worked for a bunch of uh, outfitters over the years and hunting lions, and I realize that it's controversial. It's not ethical and all this and all that to use dogs. But I'm here to tell you, if it's done by the law, which there's a lot of people out there that run snowmobiles up to a tree lion with a client and they'll shoot a lion, then that's definitely bad. But if you do it like you're supposed to, it's nothing but work, and it's very hard work, and it's very exciting. I'm, for the most part, even working around a lot of outfitters over the years. I'm anti-commercial hunting. I just can't stand it. It just drives me crazy. And for the reasons that it's becoming a rich man's sport, and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, what it is, you know, from – white tail to elk or whatever if you got the money you can get you a big old bull elk or something nowadays but it's like I told Connie years ago when she shot her first spike I told her I said that spike is a bigger trophy than any six-point bull that somebody gets by pulling out their wallet and until people understand that they're missing a, a big point in hunting and I just think that hunting should be one-on-one, you or your buddy, and not somebody leading you by the hand. And that being said, I've worked with these outfitters for a long time, lion hunting, and we've had some fabulous hunts. And we did it under the, the correct way, under the law. But even throughout all that time, I was always wondering what it'd be like to try and hunt one down without dogs and let me tell you that's the only reason why you use dogs is because you got a slim chance of ever making it work um i don't know of anybody else that has uh walked down a lion and killed it but i guarantee there's other guys that have done it i just don't know them or haven't heard their stories some guys have taken them without dogs off of a a bait pile. And I figured that's what I would have to do. And by bait pile, I mean a a natural kill site where they've killed a deer and you just hang out and wait for them. But anyway, I started uh, getting away from the outfitters because it's so time consuming and you're up at three o'clock in the morning or midnight running all over the place all night long looking for tracks and and it gets to wear on you year after year after year after year. And so I decided, well, heck with it. I'm going to just part ways with all these guys. And Well, I don't know. The next winter rolled around, and I kind of missed it. And I thought, well, what the heck. I might as well just go go try it. And I'm very, very lucky because I ended up doing it on the very first time I tried it. And Connie and I had worked on it for about five or six straight years after that. And you guys might think that it's a... A tactic that we use out here—it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody does. Um, it's just that we gave it a, a, a go for a while. In fact, I miss it again, but we—we've kind of dropped off of uh, doing it. And one time we were uh, kind with
2: of, so you're you're, you're alluding you're alluding to track tracking uh, down the mountain lion without the hound dogs.
3: <laughs> yeah, just doing it one on one. So.
2: Can you give us the the full juicy details of uh, of this first mountain line trek?
3: Yeah, sure. I'll, I'd love to. I uh, wrote the story in uh, Traditional Bowhunter, and it's always easy to tell a good story when uh, when it's the truth. It's and you, if you if you guys are able to get out there and do something that's story worthy, I suggest you write it down the next day because it's immediately things start slipping and you start forgetting. But in this case, I I cut a track early in the morning, that morning, and I'm sitting there looking at the track, and uh, I see some headlights coming up behind me, and I turned around and looked. Well, there's only one reason why anybody's out this time of day. It's another lion hunter, and I knew the guy, and and we're parked on top of the tracks talking to each other. I said, well, Derek, did you see any uh, lions this morning? He goes... Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I was kind of being smart, Alec, because we're parked on it uh, on the track right when I'm talking to him, and uh, he uh, he said, "Yeah, I did cut a track in the canyon over," and right then and there, I knew that he had already seen the same lion because those guys will cover I don't know, depends on the food, but they can cover five or ten miles in one night, you know, just cruising along. So I knew it was the same lion. And I said, yeah, that must be his tracks right here. Well, he was working for an outfitter, and uh, I just took it for granted. He was going to go after this lion. so anyway, long story short, I kept looking all morning for another track and couldn't find one and thought I'd head up such and such canyon and and look and see uh, all the tracks and the dogs and hunters and everybody taking off. Well, nobody's, nobody's taken off after that lion that we both had seen. I thought, well, well, I'll go after it. So I grabbed my bow. Oh, and by the way, I had the bow was full of aluminum arrows, which just drives me crazy nowadays. <laughs> In fact, I should have done it with a self bow. But uh, anyway, I I grabbed my bow and I took a guess as to where he might come out on top of some mountain up here and started humping. And I don't know, it was getting close to noon. And I was second-guessing myself that maybe the lion hadn't crossed up there on that mountain at all, and it turned and went somewhere else. And sure enough, the like next 10 feet, I come across his tracks. So I went, oh, man, little did I know that this lion is only 100 yards away from me right now. But there's no way of knowing that. And I looked down the mountain, and I could see his tracks going down to these, this rock outcropping. And so I looked it all over my binoculars and figured his tracks went down at the base and out the other side. So I eased down there and and instead of dropping down below the rock outcropping, I circled around the top of it so I could pick his tracks out and just just keep an eye on where he's headed, you know. Well, I cruised around the top and I'm looking, I still can't see his tracks come out of this rock outcropping. And so I slowly walked down the uh, towards the bottom on the opposite side there and and uh, I'm looking over the bushes to see where the heck his tracks come out and then I realized they didn't come out He's he's got to be behind me and I turned around and there I can see like one inch of his back laying up on his ledge and the sun's out and he's just sitting there laying there soaking up the sun I thought oh my goodness <laughs> point blank and at this point I'm probably I don't know 15 yards, 20 yards away at the most. And so I slowly crawled up to where I can get level with him because he's about 10, 10, 12 feet higher in elevation than I am. And I'm slowly cruising up there real slow. And then I realized that when I canted my bow, he lost sight of me. He's tracking. He ain't sleeping. He's, he's already got me pegged. And I can my bow, and when he can't see the tip of my longbow anymore, he raises up. And, oh, man, at this time, I'm like 15, 20 feet from him. And he's just burning the hole right straight into me. It's like, uh-oh. And at that point, like I wrote in the story, is that I, I, uh, I felt like the dog that finally caught the car. Now what the heck am I going to do with it? <laughs> but he's crouched there, just burning a hole in me and staring at me, and I only have like a two-inch hole to shoot him right in the chest, below his chin and, and above the rocks. And I already told you how, what kind of a marksman I am sometimes, so I talk to myself about, don't mess this up, don't hit those rocks, and I drew back and shot, and sure enough, I hit the rocks. Boy, you have no idea how fast a lion can move and how powerful they are. But he jumped straight up and made this big growl and ran back into towards the cliffs. There was a little hole back in there, probably three or four feet in diameter. Went back in anyways, and he ran in there. And at the same time, I knocked another arrow. And he turns around. And he's running right towards me, and I shot and hit him right, right just to the side of the chest. And um, it looked like it went into his armpit and he let out this unbelievable growl, like I've never heard. And it just, this is all happening so fast, and he's full flight, and he lets out this growl, and he jumps over the top of me. And I, it scared the hell out of me. I'm telling you, man, I stuck my longbow up in the air and yelled and screamed at him as loud as I could to make him think I was tougher and better than he was. But the truth is, he was just getting out of dodge and he hit the ground on the other side of me and he was gone and there was blood everywhere so I got a, a pretty good hit I think uh I had to sit down I called a buddy of mine cuz I got to track this thing down and I don't know if it's a lethal hit or not you know and and uh I called a buddy of mine told him where to look for my body if if I don't show up <laughs> and back in town the next day <laughs> But I went tracking him, and I went uphill from his tracks purposely so I can keep an eye on him, on his tracks down below me. I figured if I jumped him and he wanted the piece of me, he would have to run uphill at me as opposed to being on the other end of the stick, and he would come at me from above. So I stayed high, and I kept glassing and just falling fairly slow. Didn't want to um, give him any advantage at this point. And you know the truth is, very few people are killed by lions. I mean, we had a kid here that was in school jogging on a trail. He was taken down and killed uh, right behind the high school. and And in fact, I went up into that country about oh two months later with some outfitters, and we crossed four other lion tracks. So there was a good population back in those days. but if, you know the lions aren't they don't seek people out. They definitely have the capability, and that's what makes you a little leery of them. They sneak into people's yards all the time and take poodles and stuff out for lunch, but for the most part, they stay away from people. But still, I got a wounded one, and I got to track him down. And Anyway, I'm tracking along the side of the hill, and I looked, looked right in front of me, and he had turned to 90 degrees, and here I am right in the middle of his tracks again. And he's heading up the hill, which is not good when you're tracking any animal that's been hit with an arrow. But we ended up going over the top of the mountain and, and I um, tracked him another, I don't know four or five hundred yards off the top of this ridge, and there's an old mine hole there. There's a lot of mines in this country. It's mining country left well, this is the first place gold was discovered in Colorado it was right around here. So it was beat up pretty bad over the years. Anyway, I saw a a bed right at the lip of this mine shaft, and it's just full of blood, and I could see his tracks went down into that shaft. I eased over there and looked in, and I couldn't see in there very well because it was so bright out with the sun reflecting off the snow in this dark hole, and I wasn't brave enough to climb in there to see what's going on, so I called my bug in, had him pick me up a couple miles away on another road and at the same time, I, I called my bud Mike Hayes that makes those bows we were discussing earlier, and he lives a good three and a half hours away, and three three and a half hours away it depends on how fast he drives. <laughs> but uh, he decided he wanted to be a part of this, so he shows up next morning. I let the lion stay for the night. Um, so he come up next morning, we ate breakfast, and we went up there, and I asked him how come he had the day off, and he says, uh, I wasn't going to miss this for nothing, man. He, I said, really? You took the day off work? And he goes, heck yes. <laughs> so he came up there, and we took a rope, and I grabbed my 45 automatic and a flashlight and my, and my bow, and we went up there, and I got braved up. He tied the rope around me, and I went down in the hole, and shined a flashlight back in there, and I shined it from left to right, and uh, there he is, like 15 feet away, and he's still alive, and oh man, I'll tell you what, that's spooky being face to face with a wounded lion. So I climbed out and sat there and come up with an idea about filling up the hole with a bunch of dead branches just to give me a, a barrier if he did decide he wanted to get revenge. And we threw a bunch of branches down in there over an hour, and I climbed back down in, and was able to lay, almost lay flat I, it was so far back up underneath this this opening and i was able to make the the killing shot on him and and uh, we pulled him out and but mike mike later told me he said well he's been catfishing before but he's never used a human for bait <laughs> when he tied me to the rope and, oh, man. And, and dropped me down in there but you know what do you do i mean you could throw a grenade down there or whatever i called my bud and told him the thing was still alive and he says, "You crazy son of a gun!" He says, "Go in there and put a bullet in that thing!" And there's no way I was going to do that. I was going to finish it off. It's just unfortunate that I didn't make a, a hero shot the very first time. And but you know that's the way it goes sometimes in, in bow hunting, and especially in, in the hectic moment that took place there. Of woo whee. It was pretty scary, but it was an adventure. There's no doubt about it. And I tell you. I, Later on that evening, I crashed. I guess it was because, uh, I mean, mentally and bodily, physically, because of the adrenaline rush. I suppose it's you know it's like I said, the lions aren't out hunting people down. They're not like a grizzly or brown bear that just eat you because you're in their acreage. Now those guys would make the hair stand up if you got one of those on the wrong side of you. But a lion, they have the potential, and you have to respect that.
1: Oh yeah, they give you that look for sure. You still get that feeling. It's crazy. That's an awesome story, man. And yeah, well, you know, in Oregon, one. yeah, we're infested with cougars, and that's uh, that's always been something I've I've wanted to do. I killed one out of a tree stand a couple years ago. I just got lucky; it happened to walk by. Um, sweet, but uh, we have so many of them up here that I've. My theory has always been. I'm gonna get in like really good shape, and I'm gonna cut a fresh track and run them down, barking like a dog, and see if I could tree them. That was kind of always my theory. I don't know if it'd work or not. Probably not, but I always figured the the snow conditions would be too tough to you know sneak up on them. But they are curious. Do you think that you think he knew when you were tracking him? You think he knew you were there, and he just was curious enough to hang around? Or were the snow conditions perfect to where? you know, no. fresh powder that he couldn't hear you.
3: No, that wasn't it. He had me pegged as soon as I came down the side of the hill, uh, side of the rock outcropping, looking for his tracks with, to see where they came out. I just expect him to, uh, to find the tracks on the other side of these ro- this rock outcropping and just continue tr- going on tracking him. But he was on that ledge, and by the time I re- when I thought he was sleeping, he just laying flat. He's, he knows that I'm there. It's like Connie said when it was all over with. She said, he knew very well what you were. He had any chance he wanted to, to get out of there, but he didn't. And uh, so, yeah, who knows what was on his mind. But you're not probably too far off. I mean, all experience, I've set up on a top of a ridge and watched the hounds down below running a track and then bark and bay and bark and... And do this and that, and all of a sudden you see a lion start moving down in front of them. For the most part, most of the time those dogs are just barking and barking, and and they'll run a hundred yards and run up in a tree. And that's the dogs have done their job. Um, your theory about running through the through the bushes barking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying I got a lot of theories that, or ideas. Hey. It's just an idea. <laughs>
3: You are probably not too far off base there, and you could probably put them in a tree um but to make it authentic, you gotta wear a loincloth out there and
1: <laughs> sleep in a teepee. I'm in I'm getting some moccasins coming I'm in that sounds good well i'd I'd rather track one down like you did I mean obviously that would be number one, but I always sure I never thought about that curiosity, and they are very curious I've had a lot of lion encounters hunting, and they're a very curious animal. And like you said, even when they know you're there, a lot of times, especially in Oregon, they're not getting hunted. They haven't for 20 years, you know, with hounds or anything. Um, They just look, you know, like, huh, what is oh, that? Yeah. Oh,
3: it's, it's not legal to run dogs on them?
1: No, they outlawed it in 96, and our, no, our cougar population's just exploded
2: yeah yeah too bad. and they are super curious um i've i've missed two now the first one my buddy was was cow calling and the elk were on private and we were on state land and we were trying to get the elk to come over our way <laughs> and i look back and my buddies i'm on a cut bank in this myrtlewood grove And my buddy's right underneath me cow calling and he's laying on his back and he's got the backpack as a pillow and he's just kind of relaxing. So we, you know, we're at the end of the season. We've been grinding for some time and he's just cow calling and I'm waiting for these elk to show. And I, I look over my shoulder and I see this big lion coming and it's moving through the grass. And when I. I make kind of a move to turn around and it sees me, but my friend is still calling. And even though he can see me, he he's still coming. He's like, uh, I like what I hear. And at one point he stopped, I drew back, and I mi- I completely missed him. He he did like a ninja spin move, I'd like to think. I don't know, it all happened so fast, but I I shot under him and and he got out of there and Um, the, the, the other lion I missed, we actually, he'd crossed the road on us when we were, uh, hunting elk. We were, you know, walking up this road in a misty morning. And I told my buddy, I said, I think we could bring him back with cow calls. And he said, why would we do that? And I thought, well, I thought that would be kind of exciting. And my buddy didn't really like the idea, but I went ahead and started doing some distress calls and sure enough. He didn't commit completely, but I heard him cut break a little bit of brush and I eased up the cut bank and I looked over and there he was at about 25 yards in this vine maple thicket. And I sent an arrow through there and it, it bounced through a whole bunch of stuff and never connected, but they're definitely very curious animals.
3: Yeah, you know, and that's why I go back to the marking and putting them in a tree. For the most part... They're 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 top of the pole as a predator. They're not really afraid of anything, and they've never had to be afraid of anything. And you know, somebody's loose dog goes out barking them, and they just jump up in the tree. And the, the the fact is, they can kill those dogs so fast. In fact, one of my outfitting buds here locally lost his best dog on a big big tom. Some of these guys get it in their head that they want to. They're not going to put up with it, and you're in trouble. Yeah. And the lead dog was up there by himself. The lion, the Tom grabbed the lion, and I mean, the Tom grabbed the dog and killed it and drug it in a hundred feet into this mine. And you know, my bud Mark, he uh, looks at the sign. He's got a client. and He says that 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 cat's got my dog in there. I've got to go in and get it if you're not going to go in there with me to shoot it, he says, I've got to go in and get my dog. And the guy says, hell no, I'm not going in there after that lion. And uh, so Marks pulls out his pistol and he's getting it loaded and he heard something. And here comes the big toms comes running out over the, over, over the lip of the mine bank there and took off down the hill. And. He just told the guy to get his stuff and let's go. And he grabbed the dogs and they treated a, I don't know, half a mile on down the mountain. It kept looping on them, but, um, they put it, uh, put it in a tree and he ended up killing it. And he went back up in there and that Tom ate half of that dog wow. when he went in there to get his collars and stuff. I mean, some of these guys are mean. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. Um,
0: so you have I and
3: I were training uh, some puffs with Mark and, um, we were we didn't we wasn't even hunting. We were just training the pups, and we had two uh two two younger dogs with us. And we went up there, cut a track. Uh, we went up the hill where it where the tracks led. And once again, Mark's up in front of me with the two uh, pups, and I'm in the middle, and Connie's following behind. And usually it's the other way around. <laughs> I'm following her. Um, Uh, But uh, there's a mine hole. Like I said, there's literally thousands of them around here. And most of them are caved in and all, not a problem. But some of them go in 20 feet, 50 feet. Some of them you can drop a rock and hear it rattle down a shaft for five seconds, you know. So very in-depth. But Mark's up at the top of this uh, mine. It goes in horizontally. A shaft goes down and mine goes in horizontally. We're in a mine hole here, and um, Mark's got the two dogs, and he's heading up over the top of this mine hole. And I just said, "Mark," I said, "those lion's tracks go right into this mine." And I leaned over and I looked in the mine, in the darkness, and here he comes. This lion's coming out, and I just I sucked in air and just stood back as it runs past me. <laughs> And I turned around and yelled at Connie, and I said, look out, Connie. And she grabs this two-foot-tall pine tree and bends down behind it, and Tom runs past her like three feet. And I said, Mark, let them dogs go. So, man, it's exciting times. He lets them dogs go, and that lion took off, and them dogs took off. We went down there a couple hundred yards, and there's the lion in the tree, and we could hear them two pups baying and hollering clear (laughs) off the mountain a mile away. I said, "Boy, they missed this lion." (laughs) I said, "They got a lot (laughs) to learn." He says, "Oh, they'll be back." Sure enough, an hour later, they're back up there, and and uh, we kind of held them up so we could see the lion. But I climbed up in a tree right next to this thing, and you know 25 feet away and took some really good close-up photos of him and yeah, we walked away from it yeah wow. so
2: i know you guys have tried this uh tracking him without the dogs uh i was talking with connie on the phone and it sounds like you guys have had a couple encounters uh could mm-hmm. you share you know going back after it and i know you uh have took connie with you could you you know get share one of those stories with us
3: sure know one time that's fairly exciting is that we cut a track and um and actually it was right up where i was uh, an hour ago uh, surveying on our property it was right close to our property where we're thinking of building a house um but we went up over the top of the ridge tracking this cat and and it's headed off down into the canyon on the other side and and it's fairly good powder i mean it's only six six eight inches deep at the most six inches deep on the shady side, and we're going down, and, and you know I'm just following along. And this is the problem with trying to do it one on one without hounds. Is they're so in tune to their environment, it's really, really tough to get up to within bow range of them. So my point is, I got close to the uh, bottom of, the, of a of a gully in the shady side and I looked at the tracks and they're headed back up the hill on ten-foot leaps. I said, ah, damn. Yeah, we spooked it. And I said, well, that's the end of that one. I said, we'll just follow it back up. So we followed it back up and it's steep. And we crossed the tracks that we had just made near the top that we had just made coming down while tracking it. and there's a big X in the snow there. I said, oh, geez, look at that, man, it crossed right here where we just came down. I said, here, take my picture standing next to the to the X in the snow, Ma. So Ma takes a picture. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, here, give me the camera, I'll take a picture of you. So she stands over there where the lion track goes, you know, big X there. So she's taking a picture. And I said, all right, let's see where it went. And so we Got on the tracks and went up the hill, maybe another 100, 150 yards, and then it starts making a big circle, and I went, oh, my God. Right there near the sunny side of the hill, and there wasn't six inches of snow there. At this point in the day, there's probably only three inches left, but there's a perfect impression of where this lion was laying, and it got hot, heated up, running up that hill from where we jumped it. But it's laying and it's watching us take those silly photos at the X. It made a big circle and it's laying down. You can see where its tail was laying in the snow, and it's all melted out. I took some pictures of that. And this thing looped and it's watching its back trail. So we got on its trail again, and it started looping again and again. I said there is no way that we will ever get close enough. This thing is wised up to us, and that was pretty exciting. The you. you you know if it would have been dry ground or whatever you'd have never known that cat would looped and was watching you while you're being silly taking pictures
1: (laughs) yeah how far how far was he watching you from when he was doing those loops you think i mean what was his buffer distance 100 yards or
3: no i'd say he was probably 75 or or and it was a female by the way i can tell by looking at the tracks it was either female or very young tom yeah um i would say it was 50, 50, 60 yards at the most, at the most.
1: Yeah. Curiosity. That's awesome.
3: Yeah, it's something, you know, and another time we, you learn when you, when you do this readily, and I don't know if you guys out there, do you guys get, have snow where you can see where yeah. you're Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> well, let me tell you, you got to think like a cat. Cats hug cliffs, cats hug big objects, big trees in your area. If you can see where they walk, they'll go under limbs, you know, they'll get on a downfall and walk through all the limbs, things like that. Yeah. Well, when we were tracking another big tom, and I know it was a big tom because, once again, the tracks. Um, we were tracking a big tom, and, and uh, i seen it go down to this big outcropping, and I told Connie, I said, well, let's circle around the other side and – and come in from the other side. So, you know, that takes 10, 15 minutes if you take your time to go around this rock outcropping and ease down there because, you you know, your window of opportunity is gonna be short. If you do get a chance to shoot at him at all. Well, doing that, we ended up making a complete circle around there and we could see where he definitely was laying in those rocks and he booked out the direction we had initially came in. Well, using that same experience, Um, On another lion, I told Connie, I'm going to stay down low. You go up and around the other side, and we'll see if one of us can get an opportunity. So doing that, I'm easing along the bottom, and all of a sudden a pine cone comes flying down past my head and hits the ground. And I looked up, and it's Connie, and she's all excited. She's, She's pointing. He's right there. Well, she can see him at about eighty yards or whatever it was, fifty yards. I don't remember. Um, and I said, "Shoot, if you got a shot, shoot." And uh, he turned and booked. So if you're gonna do it by yourself, it's gonna be tough. You got a better chance with two people by splitting up like that. Because I probably never would have known that line was there, other than reading the tracks, you know, yeah. afterward. And she yeah. was able to see it, but. Um, yeah, they, they're, they're a lot of fun. You got my blood going, heck, I'm going to have to get myself in that, that dog barking shape and get after them. I think, <laughs> I
1: think I got another idea, too. I think what I'm going to do, just from listening to you and the curiosity, I got my, my hide from a couple of years ago. It's tanned at the taxidermist. I'm going to make a cat hat out of it, and that way when I'm tracking them, if they do see me, maybe that will give me the edge to get from that 50 or 60 into that 20 to 30 right because they're like is that what is that i thought that was a guy looks like a cat you know like maybe that would be just enough if the barking thing doesn't work out
3: is is this is this bob
1: yeah yeah Yeah. of course of course
3: you're in fantasy land
2: (laughs) (laughs) well no
1: I i think it's totally realistic
2: no, Bob, I think you should use that cat leather to make your loincloth with.
1: Well, that too. I could do both. I could do a cat hat and a loincloth, but it'll be cold
2: in the winter. I mean, yeah, you yeah. could put your you gotta... moccasins on and, and your loincloth <laughs> and, 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 and just go right on oh, it. That's
3: funny. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, um, you'd be better off going to a Halloween costume store and getting something that looks like a lion instead of ruining a good lion hide of course i don't know you you be better off making a lion rug or something putting it on the wall
1: well,
2: i think you need probably some big floppy hound dog ears is what but you if, need
1: think of this if that one hat i could get a lot of lion hides if it
2: worked right well it, it, it could give you some good mojo either <laughs> which way
1: yeah exactly oh man that's yeah, awesome that's i've
2: honestly i've thought about that
1: for uh years because you know where i hunt blacktails, tails deer just gotten decimated it's up in the mountains there's there's uh, enough roads to drive you know where you could cut the tracks and and you know nobody hunts them there's a lot of a lot of lions up there and like i said i've gotten well, lucky know, like, seeing them come by and it's thing, something be awesome
3: one thing to keep in mind if you're going to go ahead and give that a twirl is that not all terrain is bow hunting conducive by that i mean you can go up in the thick timber where there's no rock outcroppings and just track them forever yeah but on the other hand if you know an area that's got a lot of rock outcroppings or someplace that they'll hole up and lay in the sun after a snowstorm your your um odds are a little bit better at getting up on them
2: hear that bob that's why we got to go to the high desert to that yeah, uh, my mule, like my mule deer hunting spot and try it there well, be, it's only
3: going to work if you can track them, though. If it's desert yeah. and
2: there's no snow, yeah, you got to
1: have good yeah. snow. Yeah, that's oh, a, man. That's, I got that's, my wheels turning. Maybe I just won't elk hunt this year, and I'll just lion hunt all winter next winter. That'd be oh, it'd be so awesome. Yeah, I was
3: actually I was you can hunting a with license and hunt them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Heck yeah. See, no I dogs.
2: I, yeah, we can we can hunt them year round here. Um, we just can't use the dogs, but yeah, we we can. Yeah, we, we, there's we, too
1: many of them. They're trying to, you know, it's hard to control them. You know, without
2: using hounds, it's without and without the hounds. Go ahead. Without the hounds, um, I've actually in my mule deer hunting spot, some guys that were in camp over there in the high desert. They had video of four big. I mean, it could have been a mom and an adult uh, kittens, but four full grown mountain lions chasing and taking deer like hunting in a pack you bet oh and man. they're
3: good at it oh yeah, yeah they these are tracks in the snow when they do that they'll spread out you know go after them and i found one that uh, we were on with a client uh i said holy cow this this cat's after this these deer i could see the writing re- riding in the snow and and um i'm following along and there's a two-point Antler off a of mule deer laying there. I'd say, well, one of them was a buck, and he <laughs> he dropped his horns getting out of here. He never <laughs> did catch the uh, the deer, and the client ended up uh, uh, taking the tom because the, the the dogs put it in a tree. But another way to hunt those things without hounds is uh if, if you can just find a kill site and and hang out on that. Right. So
2: that's, Absolutely. That's
3: probably one of your better odds, and put a tree stand in or something close by, but.
2: That, well, and need to it,
3: have the patience of a rock.
2: Right. That is legal, too, in Oregon. We're allowed to do that. I know that. Um, I i had actually uh, ran into our local game warden. Uh, he was off work, and I said, well, what are you up to, Levi? And he said, oh, I've got a report of a lion, uh, bull elk had killed a lion, and I know where it's at, and I'm going to go sit on it for the day and see if I, I can't get me a lion. And so I was like, oh, I guess that's a tactic for sure. Sure I know, yeah, I don't know about you, Gary, but for me, you know, uh, being in wild places with wild things uh, amongst predators is some of my fondest memories. Uh, those mountain lions that I've had, been, had close encounters with, they are a majestic and amazing animal. When they stare you down, it's something that uh, just holds close to your soul. I mean, it's indescribable.
3: It's, it's yep, I agree. There's nothing like it. And we'll, you know, I think the lion population around here has gone down. Our deer are gone. Our sheep are gone. We had some of the best sheep hunting right here where, where we're at. Probably for bow hunters, probably some of the best sheep hunting units in the world. I mean, I can't even think of another place that, I mean, we had, the last year that I hunted here, we took 11 rams. I mean, that tells you, bow hunters. Yeah. That tells you what the sheep population was like and what, what kind of an area this was. But our sheep are way, way, way down, a third of what they were 15 years ago or so.
2: And is that and, from predation and disease and... Yeah, both. Yeah, both, yeah.
3: yeah. In fact, Connie and I used to uh, cruise the canyons looking for dead sheep because we like to find those dead rams. And we've found three or four of them over the years, you know, in the 160... 160 plus class and uh we boil the skulls out and they're just really nice to to have hanging around well if you're a bone collector i suppose somebody that likes flower photos on the wall wouldn't appreciate a dead <laughs> sheep head in the corner but but uh we 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 spent a lot of time humping these canyons and we found a lot of ewes that have been killed by lions but our deer population are down and our lion's population i believe they're down i mean i've talked to the outsider locally and he goes yeah there's there's they're down a bit and it's not from over hunting it's just that they'll go where the food source is so when our sheep have dwindled and yes it's disease um obviously well there's,
2: well bob uh, with uh with uh there's no uh hound dogs so i guess our population is exploding it might be the right time for us talented, to go over man. there and uh take our uh chance at getting us a a lion with uh spot and stock or tracking in the snow would be pretty awesome Heck yeah. uh we 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 definitely appreciate your time uh gary and we know uh being a, a rocky mountain guy that you've got a lot more stories to tell and so we're looking forward to getting you back on to talk about some ungulates and and, you know, some of your bow hunting adventures. And we're also looking forward to getting your wife on. Um, so, yeah, we, we look forward to it.
3: Well, it's my pleasure, guys. And I appreciate you taking the time out and doing what you're doing. I know it takes t- time out of your life. And, and, obviously, you enjoy it. And you're spreading the word of traditional archery. And and uh, more power to you. Our, yeah, and
2: tell, yeah, not a problem. We, we appreciate that. Um, and go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can find... Uh, your website where they can purchase uh, some of the stuff you make.
3: Um, you can go to traditionalarcheryproducts.com, dot com and um, you know that that big long winded name came from my boy. He says, "Yeah, it's traditional archery products." I said, "Man, I don't even like typing that many letters, <laughs> but that's what <laughs> that's what came out." And traditionalarcheryproducts.com, dot com and and you can see some of the stuff we sell and and uh, hope via help you on you your uh, traditional adventures.
2: You sell the tooling, are you also selling footed shafts or you just sell the stuff to make them?
3: No, just to build them. I thought about that, but that's, you know, that's that's a whole different ball game. You'd have to be um, you'd have to have hundreds of thousands of arrows in order to take care of different spine weights and grain yeah, weights and all that. A-
2: absolutely. When we watched your presentation, I thought, yeah, footed shafts are beautiful. Um, what's the big deal? And then when I seen the process, I was like, wow, you know, much yeah. respect. It's, it's definitely a, a, a lot of work, but the finished product is amazing. So, yeah, we thank you again, and, uh, you know, look forward to having you on again soon.
3: All right. Thank you. Take care, boys.
2: Yep. We'd like to thank the listeners once again for the support of the podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends. We're also doing a bow giveaway thanks to Emery Ronald of the Byland podcast. Check out his podcast, follow him on Instagram, leave a review on the Byland podcast and the TradQuest podcast, and we'll interview you to win the Bear Montana Longbow. I think it's a 50 pounder right hand. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean. Check us out on Instagram. Keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot and shoot straight.